Good morning. Good morning. I have an update from last week. Last week I mentioned that uh, I was uh, started something new. I was a soccer coach, and I mentioned that we were going to scrimmage the boys uh, on Tuesday. And well, uh, we scrimmage the boys, and uh, we start the game, and they go. They score a goal pretty much with uh, at ease. And we restart it again, and they go again, pretty much score the ball again with these. And, but then we score the next goal, and we score the next after that, and so we tied it up. And we ended up winning 5-2, to two, so our ladies took care of business. Emma was one of them. She just walked out there. Way to go, Emma. She, she's a bully out there on the soccer field. Watch out. I wouldn't want to uh, line up against her if, if I were a girl of her age. Watch out, worlds. Uh, but I've been enjoying that, uh, coaching the girls. Um, so this week, uh, we're closing the series, uh, Heroes of Our Faith. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, doing the series with you all and uh, kind of telling the stories of some of these great heroes of our faith that sometimes uh, we may overlook. And so as we conclude the series today, I'm just going to briefly uh, take one last trip down memory lane and talk about the, the five different heroes that we've talked about up to this point. The first one was Daniel. And again, Daniel, uh, the lesson that we learned from Daniel is that he was not willing to compromise his standards no matter what was thrown his way. He didn't fall into peer pressure uh, of his peers, and, and he wasn't willing to compromise the standards of pleasing God even when his life was on the line, and he was threatened to be thrown into the den of lions. And so a great hero of our faith, someone who was not willing to compromise his standards no matter what was thrown his way. The second hero we talked about was Paul. Paul, uh, one of the greatest heroes of our faith, one of the greatest heroes in the New Testament, uh, not named Jesus, um, and we talked about the conversion of Paul. Paul, before he was this great, superb Christian, he, he was a devout Jew who persecuted the Christians, who led the Christians to their death. And, but we learned through the conversion of Paul that this man who murdered or led many Christians to their death, a mass murder, we learned that sometimes you have to hit rock bottom. Paul, he was blind and he hit rock bottom. It was then that he gave his life over to, over to God's Son. Jesus Christ. Number two, we learned that there's always hope for someone. There's always hope for someone. A lesson that, that I'm, I need to learn and still learning that there's always hope for someone as long as they have the breath within them. There's always hope. God works miracles and he works wonders. And the third lesson that we learned from Paul is that God can use anyone. God was willing, willing and wanting to use a mass murderer. To, to be one of the greatest heroes of his faith. And we can see that God can and wants to use anyone. Anyone, no matter what you have done in your past, God wants to use you. And that's awesome to realize. And then the following week, I was gone. And so uh, Pastor John uh, talked about, I can call him Pastor now because he's officially licensed pastor now. Pastor John, uh, he talked about some of the B-list heroes that are found in Colossians. And uh, they're kind of like the everyday heroes. The only thing that made them special was that they had a willingness to serve. And we too, we can be special. We can be heroes of our faith if we have that same willingness to serve. And the following week we talked about David. Per personally, my favorite hero of the faith in the Bible, uh, David. And we took a look at the story of David and Goliath. And David had great faith that he could take down the giant Goliath. But that faith would have been useless had he not put his faith into action. But David had a faith that convicted him to act. And so you and I, we, we need to have a faith that convicts us to act. And then last week we talked about a great hero of the faith, a female woman uh, who was Queen Esther. And Queen Esther uh, was a queen, and uh, she used her position that she had for the good of God's people. She used her position as queen to serve God and his people to save God's people. And you and I, we all have different positions in our life. No, none of us are kings or queens. But we all have a position, whether you're a parent or, or a child or a teacher or a co-worker or a boss, whatever. You have a position in life that God gave you. And you need to use that position to serve God and his people and to save God's people just like Esther did in the story. And so today... 
Uh, the last hero that we are talking about uh, is King Josiah. Um, and we're going to be talking about um, some stuff uh, that isn't necessarily um, the easiest to take in. Um, and I, I'm not news for you all. I'm not here uh, to tell you what you want to hear. I'm here to tell you uh, what God uh, wants you uh, to hear. Um, I'm not here to please manna. I'm here to please God. And so this message uh, can be hard at times uh, to take in as we'll be learning um, some real life uh, kind of harsh lessons in life. And so we'll be talking about King Josiah. Josiah was the king of Judah. Um, and to give you a bit of a history lesson, I know we've gone over this history before, but I, I kind of want to drill this in your minds and to help you realize that, that God's word, it's all a part of, way, of one big overarching story. Many of you guys I mean, may have gone to Sunday school throughout your years, and you have all these little individual stories that you have in your mind. You have the story of Daniel, and you have the story of David, and Esther, and Paul, and all these heroes. But they're kind of independent stories. When we go throughout the history, it shows that this is all part of one big overarching story. And so, as we talk about history, what we're going to start with um, is, well, Jacob's family, who was the grandson of Abraham, uh, he brought his family into Egypt. And, J and Jacob, also known as Israel, that's where we get the term Israelites, uh, he, he led his family into Egypt. And they lived there for about 400 years. But then near the end of their time in Egypt, it was getting really hard for them. And they were treated as slaves uh, towards the Egyptians. And so the Israelites, they wanted freedom. And so God freed the Israelites from the hand of the Egyptians uh, through another great hero of our faith that we didn't talk about most. Again, we've only, this is only a six-week series, Heroes of Our Faith, but there are a number of different heroes of, of our faith. I, I'm sure you guys have some heroes that you wish we would have talked about, um, but uh, maybe we can talk about them later. I know Larry mentioned to me a couple weeks ago, when are we going to talk about Samson? Sometime, Larry, but not in this series. I apologize. Um, but anyways, uh, as Israelites, they were in Egypt, and God freed the Israelites from the hand of the Egyptians uh, through Moses. And so Moses led the Israelites uh, in, through the, the wilderness for 40 years, and then Joshua finally led the Israelites into the promised land, the land of Canaan, the land that God promised Abraham and his descendants, which were the Israelites. And so they finally went to this promised land, Canaan, and uh, they encountered people who were already living there. They were called the Canaanites. And these Canaanites, they were wicked people. They, they served and worshipped some, some weird gods. They, they, they didn't serve and worship the one true God, Yahweh. But they had all these different weird ideologies and, and gods. And they were not good people to associate with. So God instructed Joshua and the Israelites to drive them out of the land. Now, unfortunately, the Israelites, they never truly did drive out all the Canaanites from the land. Um, but, but, they, but they conquered most of the lands of Canaan, uh, the promised land. And as they were doing this, uh, they had judges who were put over them. We, we call them judges, uh, but probably a more like, accurate term as far as we're concerned. It's kind of like governors. They, they weren't necessarily like judges in our, ju in our judicial system, in our government, but they're kind of seen as governors. They, they would rule over a part of the land, but no judge ever ruled over the entire and now the Israelites, they saw the surrounding nations, and they saw that they had one king who ruled over all their land. And so the Israelites wanted a king, and so God gave them a king. And that's where Saul and David and Solomon enter the pictures, the three kings of the United Kingdom of Israel. And then Solomon had a son, Rehoboam, uh, and during his reign, Rehoboam's reign, uh, the nation of Israel was split into two separate kingdoms. There are 12 tribes of Israel, and the 10 northern tribes were split up into the north. They're called the northern tribe, and they were called, it was just simply called Israel. And there's the 10 tribes there. And then the other uh, tribe or other kingdom was called Judah, and they consisted of the two southern tribes, which were the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. And in 722 BC, Assyria, one of the surrounding nations that caused uh, the nation of Israel, a lot of troubles. They eventually conquered Israel in 722 BC. And so for about 150 years, Judah, the two southern tribes, uh, remained a nation even, even though the ten northern tribes was captured by Assyria. And this is where Josiah comes into play. Josiah ruled Judah while Israel was no longer a nation as they were overthrown by uh, the, the nation of Assyria. 
And so Josiah reigns uh, shortly before Babylon uh, conquered Judah, which we also talked about in the story of Daniel and the Deadline. See, it, it's all, it all connects. All, the, all these stories connect as part of one big overarching story, and I love it. And so we're talking about Josiah, the king of Judah, uh, one of the kings who, who ruled during the time when Israel was no longer a nation. Uh, Josiah was a good king. He, he, he was a good king, as we'll see later on today. Uh, but in both Israel and Judah, they had their fair, they had a lot of bad kings. A lot of bad kings. We, we would think that God would put in um, some awesome kings to rule the nation. And sometimes uh, Judah has some good, good kings. But a lot of times they have bad kings put in place. Bad kings put in place of God's people. And for 57 years before Josiah began uh, his, his rulership of the, the nation of Judah, there are two kings, Manasseh and Ammon. And they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And so they were both kings combined for, for 57 years. Manasseh was king for 55 years and Ammon was king for two years. So for 57 years before Josiah arrived on the scene, the nation of Judah was led by two evil guys, two people who did evil things in the sight of the Lord. And so, as we'll see in the story, the, the nation of Judah, they were far, far away from what God had envisioned for them and where God wanted them to be. Now, one of the awesome things I love about Josiah is that just King Josiah, he began to rule. Does anybody know at what age King Josiah began to rule? Close. Close. Eight. Eight years old. King Josiah starts to rule at eight years old. Who's the youngest person in here? Is that here? Is that maybe you, Chloe? Are you maybe the youngest person? How, how old are you, Chloe? Fourteen. So nearly half of Chloe's age was the age of King Josiah. That's crazy. This, this little kid started to rule the nation of Judah at just eight years old. And now it's, it's no surprise that I'm fairly young to be a pastor. Um, I'm uh, just barely 22 years old, but I'm nearly three times as old as King Josiah. When, when I uh, meet new people around the area, and they go, oh, so what brought you here? Well, I, I'm the pastor at the Northwest Church. And, and I literally see their jaw drop at that like, and, and their eyes get big. It's like, you're a pastor? And, and because I'm 22, but... Truth be told, I look about 16 or 17. <laughs> and so uh, one reason why I love Josiah is how he began to rule at such young age, and I can uh, relate with him there. And unfortunately, we don't really get to see uh, much detail uh, as his early years as king. Really, the first story that we see about Josiah being king is 18 years into his reign as king. We'll go ahead and take a look at that. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 23. 2 Kings chapter 23. This book is all about the kings of Judah and Israel, and uh, it's found right after 1 Kings. Um, I always have to throw that joke out there. I know it's awful. I, I got to get the dad jokes out there. I'm about to be a dad. I need to start with the dad jokes. <laughs> <laughs> so in 2 Kings uh, chapter 23 is where we'll start in the story. But before then, we need some background. So again, Josiah, we see that we can see in, in verse 1 of 22 that Josiah was 8 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 31 years. So just 8 years old, Josiah was king of Judah. But the first thing that we see uh, described or written down uh, regarding the, the rule of Josiah, it took place 18 years into his reign as king. And what we see here is that Josiah uh, led the Israelites in repairing the temple. Many of us re may remember the story of Solomon building the temple of God. Uh, well, a lot of time has passed, and it was time for them to repair the temple. And as they were repairing the temple, the, I imagine they had to pack up a lot of their stuff and get it out of the building as they were making repairs uh, in, in the temple. And as they were doing this, as they were repairing the temple, they found... The book of the law. They found the book of the law. The book of the law is the first five books of our Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's the five books that Moses wrote. 
And when they were, were repairing the temple and getting rid of all these boxes, they finally found the book of the law. Now, we don't know how long the book of the law was lost, but it was lost at least for, for quite some time because it appears this is the first time that King Josiah ha has seen or have, has read the book of the law. Now, now I can relate to, to them and, and losing this. Uh, I've, I've moved a couple of times uh, in the past couple of years, and, and as you're moving, you're packing everything up, and as you're packing everything up, you stumble upon things that you haven't seen in years ago. Oh my goodness, I completely forgot about this, and many of you guys are probably uh, can, can relate to me. I'm sure Pete and Alice can relate to me there, as they just recently moved. As you move, you see stuff that you totally forgot about, and they lost the book of the law, which shows us the indifference that they had towards serving God and following his commands, where they lost the book of the law. The book of the law was like their Bible. And let me tell you, we have technology nowadays, we have the printing press and such forth, where we can mass produce Bibles, we can mass produce God's word, but they didn't have that technology back then. It was, it was very rare for someone to have a copy of the book of the law. I imagine there were only a couple found in, in the nation. As King Josiah, he had not read the book of the law before this. So it was 18 years into his reign as king where he finally read God's word. That shows you how little they, they cared about serving God and following his commandments. That they lost a super important book. But they finally found this book. And, and as Josiah, uh, he had some of his people read this book to him. And as see they were reading this book of the law, he tore his clothes off out of anguish because he saw that his nation, that he was king of, was not following the laws found in the first five books of the Bible. He saw that his people, his people was not following the law of God. They were not obeying God. And he was torn up by this. He, he tore his clothes off. And so Josiah had a mission. Josiah had a mis mission. His mission was to lead the Israelites to better follow God and his law and his word. That was his mission, as we'll see here in this next chapter. As Josiah is trying to reform the nation of Judah and trying to get them to follow the book of the law. And so in chapter 23, we see the beginning of Josiah's mission in trying to reform the nation of Judah. And so in verse 1 of chapter 23, we read, then the king sent, and all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord, and with him all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the priests and the prophets, all the people, both small and great. And he read in the hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord, or, or the book of the law, the first five books. And the king stood, that's King Josiah, stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord. To walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul. To perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book and all the people joined in the covenant. So what we see here as Josiah, he, he read this words of the book a lot. He saw just how far this nation of Judah was following um, this book of the law, the book of the covenant. He, he gathered all the men of the nation and he gathered everybody and said, guys, we need to make, we need to establish a new covenant with the Lord. And a covenant is basically a, a contract or an agreement where he's saying, I'm going to do this unto you, God. And they made this covenant, this agreement with God, where they said they would walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments. They would walk after the Lord and keep his commandments. And Josiah got all the people of the nation of Judah to make this, this covenant with God that they would walk after, that they would seek him, and that they would follow his commandments. As we continue the story in uh, verse 4, uh, we're going to see the beginnings of how wicked and how far these people of Judah, God's people, have fallen away from him. And so it reads in verse 4. And the king commanded Helkiah the, the high priest and the priests of the second order and the keepers of the threshold to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels made for Baal, for Asherah, and for all the hosts of heaven. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. 
And he deposed the priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to make offerings in the high places at the cities of Judah and around Jerusalem. Those also who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and the moon, and the constellations, and all the hosts of the heavens. And he brought out the Asherah from the house of the Lord, outside Jerusalem, to the brook Kidron, and burned it at the brook Kidron, and beat it to dust, and cast the dust of it upon the graves of the common people. And he broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes who were in the house of the Lord, where the woman wove hangings for the Asherah. Now that, that might have been uh, a bit confusing for you there as we, we need to put ourselves into our culture and know a bit of the background. Um, first thing that we need to know what we just read, this is all taking place in the house of the Lord. This is all taking place in the temple that Solomon established, the, the central place for the nation of Judah to worship God. This was all taking place in there. Got that? And so what was going on in the house of the Lord, in the temple, basically God's church, was there, there were high places found in this house of the Lord. Now high places, uh, to, you need a bit of context to know exactly what a high place is. A high place uh, is talked about often throughout uh, the books of the kings and the judges and such forth. A high place is merely just a place to worship a God. It's a place to worship a God. And to worship the Canaanite God. The gods that the Canaanites had before the Israelites uh, took over the land of Canaan. So in the house of God were these high places where they worshipped the other Canaanite gods. In the house of God they were worshipping the foreign gods, the Canaanite gods that they had. And in, in, in the scripture mentioned two uh, gods, uh, specifically the god of Baal and the god of Asherah. Now the god of Baal, uh, he, he was the god of the sun, kind of like the alpha male of, of the Canaanite gods that they had. And the, the goddess Asherah, it was a female goddess, and, and Asherah was the goddess of fertility. In other words, uh, Asherah uh, was the goddess of sex. And uh, what they would do, what, what the people would do to worship and, and serve the, this goddess Asherah, the goddess of fertility, or, or basically sex, is that they would have ritualistic prostitution or sex next to what these established these Asherah poles, some, some kind of refer to them as trees, but they would establish these poles, and they would have these ritualistic prostitution and sex in the house of the Lord. In the house of the Lord, the Israelites, the people of God, were fornicating with one another to worship and serve another God. In the house of God, these people were doing wicked, wicked things. It mentions in verse 7 that he broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes who were, who were in, what? The house of the Lord. These prostitutes and these people serving and worshiping these other gods and, and, and just, just having sex with whomever and whatever. It was all taking place in the house of the Lord, in the house of God, the temple, the place that was specifically designed to worship God as the almighty creator of the heavens and the earth, as the single true one God, Yahweh. And they were doing these abominable acts in the house of God. Man, that, that breaks my heart. As, as I was studying about this and reading about the gods of Baal and the, the disgusting goddess of Asherah, I was in tears reading that this was all taking place in the house of God. It's disgusting. It's disgusting what was taking place. And so we see in these verses 4 through 7, Josiah, he had enough of it. He had enough of it. And in verse 6 it says, And he brought out the Asherah from the house of the Lord, the, the thing where they worshipped this goddess Asherah and had these ritualistic 
sex and prostitution, he said he brought out Asher from the house of the Lord outside Jerusalem to the brook Kidron. And he burned it at the brook Kidron and beat it to dust and cast the dust of it upon the graves of the common people. So here he took the, these Asher poles and, and he set them out and, and he set the, these poles on fire, but he didn't just set it on fire. He beat these things to, to dust. He had it. He was done. He was done with the wicked things that the people, that God's people were doing. As he cast these astral pools on fire and beat it to dust and cast it onto the dust, cast it onto the common people. He was done. He was fed up. He had it. He was sick and tired of seeing God's people act so wicked. And so we continue in verse 8. So we'll read more of, of what Josiah got rid of. It says, and he brought all the priests out of the cities of Judah and defiled the high places, again, the places where they worshipped other gods, where the priests had made offerings from, from the Geba to Beersheba, and broke down the high places of the gates that were, that were at the entrance of the gates of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were on one's left at the gate of the city. However, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem. But they ate unleavened bread among their brothers. And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no one might burn his son for his daughter as an offering to Moab. And he removed the horses that the king of Judah had dedicated to the son at the entrance to the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Melech, the chamberlain, which was in the precinct. And he burned the chariots of the son with fire and the altars on the roof of the upper chamber of Ahaz which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars that Manasseh had made in two courts of the house of the Lord. He pulled down and broke in pieces and cast the dust of them into the brook Kidron. And the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem to the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon the king of Israel had built for Ashtoreth, the abomination of the Sidonians, and the Chamash, the abomination of Moab. And for Milcom, the abomination of the Amorites. And he broke in pieces the pillars and cut down the ashram and filled their places with the bones of men. So again, uh, it kind of maybe confused me because lots of talking about different locations and these different kind of foreign gods that they had. But what we see here is Josh, Josiah is continuing to tear down these high places where the people of God were, were, were worshiping other Gods. And he's tearing down, he removed horses. They, they dedicated horses to the sun. I mean, how, how foolish is that? He, he removed an altar in which the people sacrificed their own children. They were sacrificing their own children. I, mean, I can't imagine. I'm about, my, my wife is about to give birth to, to our son in a couple months. And just to imagine sacrificing my son, the, the nerve. These people are wicked people, but they're doing some awful things. And Josiah, remember, Josiah had a mission. His mission was to let the, to make the people of God, the Israelites, the nation of Judah, better follow God in the commandments that he put in place. And Josiah just continued to tear down these high places, and, and, and he shred these to pieces. And we'll skip down a little bit to verse 19. And it says, And Josiah removed all the shrines and of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which kings of Israel had made, provoking the Lord to anger. He did it to them according to all that he had done at Bethel. And he sacrificed all the priests of the high places who were there on the altars and burned human bones on them. Then he returned to Jerusalem. So here we see again this, this completion, this continuation of Josiah tearing down these high priests. And, and he even sacrificed these priests who, who were making offerings and sacrifice to these Canaanite gods. For Josiah had a mission. His mission was to lead people to God. But what he had to do first, the first thing that he had to do to lead the people to God, was to remove the sinful things they were taking part in. He went throughout all the land and removed all these wicked, wicked things that the people of God were doing. And he, re he removed them. He, he tore them down. He, he burned them to crisp. He beat it down to dust and spread, a, spread the ashes, the dust upon the common people. He had it. He was done. He was removing the sinful activities that the people had done. And, and we read the story 
I mean, we, we can easily just uh, skim over the story and not know exactly all the details. But when we break it down, <clears throat> we see just the atrocities that the people of God were committing. We see how wicked they were. And we see that Josiah had this mission of removing these wicked, sinful things. And when we read the story, we can see how awful the Jews were, the people of God were. What breaks my heart is that when we read stories like this, seeing, seeing the sin of the Jews, I can't help but see a lot of similarities in, in our nation, in, in, in our church, in, in, in the church of America, the, the, the Christian church in America. We're committing some of the same wicked things that these people were doing here in 2 Kings chapter 23. Could we not just learn from their lesson, can we not just learn from their example? How many, how many basketball fans we have in here? Fans of uh, the NBA. I love the, the NBA. Yes, a couple. Um, it was a champion. It was a playoff season a couple months ago. I spent some time talking with Birdie about uh, the playoffs. As I like basketball, Birdie likes uh, basketball as well. And I enjoy it. And the NBA is a big deal. And it's a huge deal. It's a huge industry. It spreads across the whole nation. I mean, it's a big deal. These players, they get a lot of fame and money and glory and all this stuff. And it's a huge industry, the NBA. But let me tell you that how big the NBA industry is, the porn industry is bigger. The porn industry is bigger than the NBA. What about baseball? We have any baseball fans in here? Yeah, more more baseball fans here. You know, like America's sport. It, it was it was deemed as America's sport. The MLB, the Major League Baseball uh, League, it, it, it's a big deal and it's a big industry. But the porn industry is bigger than the MLB. The whole MLB is crazy. What about the NFL? I imagine a lot of us, yes, probably the most hands. Yes, I, I love the NFL. The preseason just started this past week. I saw the Patriots womp on my pitiful Lions. It was sad. Um, but the NFL, a huge deal. But the Super Bowl, the single most watched event in, in, in the world, as the NFL is a huge industry. But the porn industry is even bigger than the NFL. And what blew my mind is that the NBA, the MLB, and NFL industries combined together aren't even the size of the porn industry. I mean, it's huge. It's flooding all over the place, and we constantly hear of people being, being trapped in the sin. I mean, you hear stories throughout America of even the pastors. Being, being torn apart by, by these sinful activities. And I mean, and this is just this is just one sinful activity that we're talking about. This is just one that, that is big and a lot of people struggle with, but there's lots of other sinful activities. I mean, it's such a shame Hollywood, uh, they, they make uh, sexual activity kind of outside of marriage the norm. And, and it's unfortunate. And, and that, that America is taking such a casual stance towards sin, which is exactly what the people of Judah were doing. You know, there, there were some kings that Israel and Judah had, and, and they weren't really that bad of kings. They didn't really do anything awful. But these kings, they, they were put in charge of all this land, and then these kings, they had these high places, these places where they worshipped other gods. But these kings who didn't do really anything that bad, they didn't do any, anything greater because, because they didn't do anything about these high places. They didn't do anything about these places that, that, that the God's people were coming to worship the Canaanite gods. Why? Because they had such a casual stance on sin. And I see that taking over in America especially, but, but really throughout the whole world. But in America we see such a casual stance towards sin. And we have a casual stance, just like the Israelites had. We see that sin creeps in. If we don't take a firm stand against the sin in our life, 
then the sin is just going to creep in. And before you know it, you're, you're, you're going to be you could be enslaved to the sin of the world, to, to the, the desires of the flesh. This is the problem that, that all churches, widespread, nationwide, worldwide, needs to handle. It's not a fun subject. I don't necessarily enjoy preaching about the big problem of sin, but it's something that needs to be heard. For I'm not here to please man, but I'm here to please God. And in order to please God, we need to address the problem of sin in our lives. And we're dealing with sin, we can't have a casual stance against sin. In Romans 13, 14, it states, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. When we're talking about sin, make no provision. Don't let your, your, your sinful desires even, even Begin to bubble up, even, even begin to, to sprout up. Make no provisions for it. Don't make it possible for your fleshly desires to take place and to gratify those fleshly desires. The things that stir up the lust, the, the lust of the flesh must be identified and eliminated. King Josiah, as he was reforming the nation of Judah, he saw all the wicked things that the, that the people of God were doing. And so the first step... In reforming the, the people of God, the nation of Judah, the first thing that he did was he tore down all the high places. He tore down all these wicked things that these people were doing. And he didn't, he didn't just neatly, neatly put it away, you know, neatly uh, shove, shove the ash or pull it away or, or, or put it in the dumpster. No, he, he beat it to a crisp. He burned it and he beat it to dust. He was done with it. He made no provisions for the people of God to take part in the desires of their flesh. And that's what we need to do. The things that cause us to, to, to be tempted, we have to make sure that, that we aren't taking up on those fleshly desires that we have. We need to identify and eliminate anything that tempts us. We need to identify and eliminate. Josiah identified all the stuff that they were doing wrong, and he eliminated it. You need to identify and eliminate the temptations that you have in your life. And you know, sometimes this hurts. Sometimes it's no fun to identify and eliminate some of the desires that we have on our flesh. Sometimes that means you have to break away from a certain activity. Sometimes that, that may mean you have to restrain from going to a certain place. Sometimes, maybe even the most painful, uh, the, the thing that hurts most, sometimes you may even have to break away relationships. You may have to, to spread yourself from your friends, from the people you care about and love. This, this, this is a big problem. As in 1 Corinthians 15.33, Paul states, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Bad company does ruin good morals. I... Uh, I often had this discussion uh, with my dad um, uh, in high school as uh, I didn't necessarily have the best friends in school. They weren't the best influence on me, but my thing was, well, but dad, I'm being a good influence on my friends. I, I got to do it, dad. And he replied, bad company corrupts good morals. You know, there, there's only so much influence that you can have. Jesus says that, yes, you need to minister to people, but after a while, you need to dust off, you need, you need to wipe off the dust on your feet and, and move on and walk on. For it's a lot easier to be influenced by the bad activities that people are doing than for someone bad to be influenced by, by the good actions that you're doing. For, for do not be deceived, bad company ruins good morals. And so we need to identify and eliminate the sins in our life. And if you're stuck in a sin, if you're stuck in a sin that you just can't seem to get out of, you need to record every single space, every single person, every single activity that causes you to be tempted. Keep track of a notebook. Or write, write it down on your phone that you carry all the time. And when, when you're stuck in that sin, record every single place, person, or thing, or activity that causes you to be tempted. Identify What's causing you to be tempted? And then once you identify what's causing you to be tempted, 
Eliminate it from your life. Eliminate it. Tear it away. Tear it away and burn it to a crisp. Burn it to dust. Be it to dust. Eliminate it. Get rid of it in your life. Whatever is causing you to be tempted. Whatever leading you to sin. You need to identify the temptations. You need to eliminate the temptations. And again, this hurts because sometimes you might have to stop hanging out with a friend. That maybe influences you to use provocative language. Sometimes you might have to uh, prevent going to your favorite bar if, if it tempts you to, to get drunk. Sometimes you're going to have to stop watching movies with mild sexual content that causes you to lust and be tempted. For some people, that, that may mean you, you have to stop going on social media, which may cause you to covet other people or compare yourself to other people or lust after some of the content. Make no provision for the flesh. In regard to its lust, make no provision for the flesh. We all have those desires. We all have those temptations. Even Jesus, even Jesus Christ was tempted just like you and I. For he's a high priest that can relate with us and work with us and love on us. But we need to identify and eliminate the temptations in our life. Just as King Josiah did in chapter 23, as he tore down these high, these high places, these asher poles, these wicked, wicked things that the people were doing, we need to identify and eliminate the sinful activities in our life, the, the, the temptations that we may experience in our life. And, and I'm serious. It may sound silly, but, but if you're struggling with the sin, record every single time that you're tempted. Record every single place, person, thing, or activity that causes you to be tempted. And then once you identify what's causing you to be tempted, then eliminate that from your life. Don't, e don't even begin down that road because every time that road will lead to you sinning if you go down that road. But King Josiah, he, he didn't just identify and eliminate the sinful activities of the people. He replaced it with good. He replaced the, the, the bad stuff that they were doing with good. We see in the same chapter, chapter 23, verse 21, it says, And the king commanded all the people, Keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in the book of this covenant. For no such Passover have been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel, or during all the days of the kings of Israel or of the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was kept to the Lord in Jerusalem. We, we, if we remember the story of the Passover is when God spared uh, the Israelite firstborn uh, male children um, as God passed over their families. And God told the people to remember this day, remember this Passover. As it was a great celebration for the people, the greatest act of deliverance in the Old Testament, the, the, the Passover. But it, but it says that the people, the Israelites, the people of God, weren't celebrating the Passover ever since the days of the judges. And so what did Josiah do? Well, first he identified and eliminated the bad things that they were doing, and he replaced it with good things, good activity. This, this is just one very small example, celebrating the Passover. But, it, but he replaced the bad with good, and celebrating all the good work that God has done in our life. And we too, when we identify and eliminate the sins in our life, we need to replace it with good. That's often a step that people overlook, is they often just say, yeah, we need to eliminate the sin, but just as important, you need to replace it with good. If you don't replace it with, with something good, then that same sin, or, or a different sin, is going to creep in. So this morning, we, we have five helpful tips to help you replace the sin in your life with good things. Five, five helpful, practical tips to, to replace some of the sinful activities in your life and replace them with, with good. The first is get involved with the church. Get involved with the church. The, the church is a place where, where, where we are leading you guys to grow closer to God and expand His coming kingdom. We, we need to be involved in the church. The church where we focus on worshiping God and ministering to one another and fellowshipping with one another and evangelizing with one another and discipling one another. The church is a good place. Replace your sinful activities with getting involved in the church, which you all are doing right now. Being involved in the church, being here, 
sacrificing your time where you could sleep in or, or whatever. You're, you're taking time out of your life, energy, effort, gas money to be here and you're getting involved in the church. Awesome. Keep it up. Keep it up. And the number two helpful tip to help replace those sinful activities with good is have godly relationships. Have godly relationships. Have, have godly friends and and sometimes, if we're blessed to have a godly family, but some of us aren't blessed to have a godly family. And even more important, it's, it's important for you to find those, those godly friends if you don't have a godly family. Because godly people help encourage you and push you along in, in, in the road less traveled. The, the, the wide or the narrow road, the narrow gate that leads to eternal life. So find godly relationships. Number three is make a wise use of your time. Fill out your schedule with good things to do so you have no time for the bad. If you don't fill out your schedule, if you're just lazy, which is also a sinful activity that often people overlook, if you're just being lazy, not doing anything with your time, then bad things are going to creep in. You need to make a wise use of your time. Number four, have meaningful devotions. This is a big one for me. Have meaningful devotions. Spend time each and every day in prayer with God. And spend time on a daily base, basis reading God's Word. For when the people, when, when, when they didn't have the book of the law, when, when the book of the law was lost for so long, the people of Judah, the nation of Judah, the people of God, they veered off in the wrong way so, so far. That's the danger when we aren't spending time reading God's word. We need to have meaningful devotions. And the fifth, fifth helpful tip, which is also a big one, but it can sometimes be a difficult one, um, is to have an accountability partner. If, if you're struggling with someone, or if you're struggling with, with sin, find someone, not just anybody, but find a trusted person who, who has a godly relationship, or who, who's living a godly life, Find them and ask them to keep you accountable. This is a hard one to do. This, this is a, a hard one for me as, as uh, my, my personality type, uh, using the, the Enneagram test or whatever. I, I'm a number three. Uh, I'm the achiever or whatever. And part of that, part of what I deal with it is I fear a lot and I think about what others think of me. And, and if you're anything like me, you don't want other people to know the struggles that you deal with. But having that accountability accountability partner, having that someone that you can trust to help you through that situation, to make sure you're staying on the right track, is so helpful. It is so helpful. So if you're, so if you're stuck in a sin, I encourage you and I urge you and I pray that you may find a partner to hold you accountable. So in talking about this, this problem of sin that we're facing, couple things we need to do. We need to identify that sin. We need to eliminate that sin. We need to replace that sin with good. And I know that this may be a bit discouraging, this message, but I want to encourage you. If you're struggling with the sin, let me affirm you are not on your own. You, you would be amazed at, at the struggles and the problems that everybody else around you is going through and the temptations that we're all going through. Sometimes when we're stuck in a rut, when we're stuck in a sin, we think we're the only one in the world. We think we have to conquer this on our own. No, we are parts of a church. We are parts of the family of God. And at this church, we accept you where you are. Truly. Truly, with open arms, we accept you. Any and everyone where you are. Amen. But let me tell you, me, as your pastor, as your shepherd, I care too much about you to let you just stay where you are. I want to take that sin in your life and eliminate it and replace it with good. And let me tell you, not just I, but this church as a whole accepts you as who you are, but loves you too much to stay that way. And let me tell you, all the more, all the more than, than just I or pastor or, or this church. All the more does God love you. And God truly accepts you the way you are. He does. 
Some people think you have to get your life right before you can turn to God. No, God loves you just as you are. But let me tell you, God loves you too much to let you stay that way. God loves you too much to let you stay the way you are. He accepts you with open arms. He says, come as you are. But let me help you and encourage you to disciple you to become just like my son, Jesus Christ. And so don't be ashamed. Don't be discouraged. Be encouraged. For this is a place, this is a church where we serve a God who accepts you for who you are, but loves you so much that we want to see you improve, that we want to see you make progress, that we want to see you in fellowship with you in God's coming kingdom. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Such a good message, such a good God that we have. But that sin separates us from God. We need to identify that sin. We need to eliminate the sin in our life. And we need to replace it with good. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for uh, this day. Father, I, I truly thank you for this church, uh, this body here, the, this family, your family. Father, I just pray that we as a church can, can build and encourage each other up that we can spur each other in the right direction. That we can encourage people to identify and eliminate their sin. That we can encourage people and influence them, your people here, to replace their sinful activities with, with, with good activities. Activities that are pleasing to you. And Father, we, we have a high priest in your son who, who can sympathize with us as seems tempted just like us. And Father, I just pray that you have mercy on us, that you have grace on us. I pray that you lead us in the right direction so that we can eliminate the sin and replace it with good. And Father, I pray that, that if someone here in this room or someone listening online, if, if they're struggling with a certain sin, if they're stuck in a sin they can't seem to get out, Father, I just pray that you give them the tools necessary to get out of sin. I pray that you encourage them to share it with, with a trusted friend, a trusted family member who, who can guide and direct them the right way. Father, thank you so much for the gift of your son, the gift of eternal life. And I just pray that our sin does not get in the way of the promises 